you're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. We encourage you to use this podcast only as a supplement to your regular attendance or membership of a local church that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you're in Birmingham, we would love for you to visit Iron City. See more details at our website, ironcitychurch.org. What do we do now? What are we going to do now? Sometimes that's the only question we can think to ask. What are we going to do now? We ask it in times of fear, uncertainty, anticipation, and nowhere are these feelings more present than in times of transition. We are in transition, aren't we? As a people, uh, many of us are transitioning from summer to fall as kids go back to school. Uh, college students are back in the house. People are moving here, moving away, starting jobs, losing jobs. Life is changing. You might feel like this church is changing. What are we going to do now? Turn to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, it's on page 167 of those black Bibles around you. That's page 167. I didn't plan for Joshua to be feeding us so much as a church this year, but here we are. Uh, We had an overview sermon on it earlier this summer. Uh, Pastor Cam preached Joshua 7 a few weeks ago, and I want to preach Joshua chapter 1 tonight as we begin a new sermon series A new season with everyone back is a good time to begin a new sermon series. And in this new series, we're going to talk about the mission and vision of this church. Uh, Just a heads up in this series, these sermons might feel more topical, but I pray the point of the passage largely drives the sermon still. Uh, Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the mission of this church. And I I want us to talk about this in light of God's word for a couple weeks reasons. First, it's just good to remind ourselves why we are here. Why are we here? Why are you here? What are you doing here? God asks Elijah in 1 Kings 19, what are you doing here? What are you wanting here? What are we about? What are we becoming? These are necessary questions for a group's harmony and flourishing. You'll remember last week in 1 Corinthians, the people were called to be something. Why are we here? What are we doing? What are we going to do now? This was the question on the mind of God's people, the Israelites who had been delivered miraculously from Egypt, who then wandered in the desert for 40 years because they doubted the God who delivered them and who were now on the brink of entering the land that God had promised to give them, the land in which they would rest with him and he with them. Friends, the people were in transition, on the edge of something new, and so they were anxious overwhelmed, 
even sad. Because the man of God leading them, Moses, of the man who had split the Red Sea, the man who had brought down God's commandments to the people, the man who prayed for the people and led them through the wilderness for decades had just died. Look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 2. Chapter 1 verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. The sentence heard round the world. Moses is dead. And so the people wept. For 30 days, the last chapter of Deuteronomy, the book right before Joshua, tells us the people who had just lost their leader wept. It's so interesting how transition can make us sad, isn't it? We know change is a part of life. We know that for everything, even death, there is a season. We know that we often even want change, be it a new job, a new romantic interest, a new house, a new beginning, a new life. And yet something in us also longs for permanence, for roots to be planted, for things to just stay the same. And so we often mourn the loss of what was and fear the coming of what will be. We grieve losing what we know, and we fear gaining that which we don't know, that which may very well be different. And that is the main reason I want us to talk about the work of this church, because we are a young church with a new pastor, We're a church in transition. We've talked about growing up as a church, and as we do that, it is so easy to talk about and focus on and fear what's different. And I want us to emphasize and camp out on what's the same. What's the same? What hasn't changed? Who hasn't changed? To be really clear, when I talk about transition, I am not saying there's a major transition coming in our church. Please don't hear that. No, what I'm saying is we're already in transition right now. We've been in transition for the last two years. If you've been around ICC for long, it seems we're always in a state of transition. And that's why I think it's been a helpful rhythm in the past that our church has had to have a sermon from time to time on the pillars or the vision and mission of our church so we can all remember what's the main thing here. And that's what I'm trying to do now and in this series. But just to say it again, there's nothing major coming down the pike, but maybe you're feeling like a lot has already come down the pike in your life in your church. Beloved, what are we going to do now? Let's remember that the main things are the same. And the same things are the main things. Beloved, be strong and courageous. Because in times of change, we will weep We will wonder what's going to come, but we will be just fine because though everything may change around us, we have the same master, the same message, and the same mission. Those are our three points tonight. 
No surprise points tonight. In in times of change, God's people have the same master, the same message, and the same mission. Let's look at the text together. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. God's word says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, in times of change, we can often ask a lot of questions. Questions like, who's in charge? Right? Next year's an election year in our country. In times of transition, we might wonder, who's in charge? Maybe you've wondered, who's in charge of this church? The answer is the same as it's always been, God. Beloved, in times of change, fear not because we have point number one, the same master. Point number one, the same master, the Lord. Look at verse one. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord. So Moses is gone, but the Lord remains Beloved, one theologian said, God will change his workmen, but carry on his work. After all, didn't we hear it in verse 2? Moses is dead, but God is alive and well. He does not change. His workers might change, right? The pastor of this church can change. So to be really clear, I am not Jason Cook. Some of you don't even know who that is. But Jason Cook was the founding pastor of this church. He planted it in 2014, and he now pastors in the Atlanta area. He's a friend of mine. He preached a beautiful sermon here last year. Lord willing, he'll preach here next year for our church's 10-year anniversary. And I am not Jason Cook. I am Isaac Adams. But that really doesn't matter that much because neither he nor I are the great I am. When you see Lord like this, 
In verse 1, in all caps, it is representing that name that God used to identify himself in Exodus 3 when he called Moses to go to Egypt and deliver God's people. Moses asked, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am who I am sent you. Beloved, this name highlights that God exists independent of anything else and that God does not change. Theologians call this the immutability of God, that whether it is yesterday or today or tomorrow, he is always I am. He stays the same. And so Cook can come and go and Isaac can come and go, but the Lord remains the master of this church. And the Lord doesn't change. Beloved, you don't have to worry about the Lord waking up on the wrong side of the bed for at least two reasons. One, he doesn't sleep, and two, he doesn't change. You can change. You are mutable. You can have some funky eggs for breakfast and be sick or be in a bad mood, but the Lord has always been good, always will be good. In the black church, they say God is good all the time and all the time. And he is on his throne in charge. So, yes, beloved, our church has elders with some authority. And yes, our church, the congregation, has some authority. And by God's grace, we might just figure out how this dance of elder-led congregationalism works as we step on each other's toes. But make no mistake, God is the one with all authority. Didn't we hear this from Matthew 28 earlier? All authority has been given to me, Jesus said. He is the master. And here's what I want you to see. In the coming of Christ, the master came down to earth. You see, the Lord had to call Joshua up. Verse 2, the Lord's like, Joshua, Moses' funeral is over. You, now, arise. The Lord called Joshua up, but Jesus, the greater Joshua, came down and laid down his life. And isn't this what he told us he'd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, sheep like me, sheep like you. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the great I am gave his life when he was crucified in the place of sinners. He hadn't done anything wrong, but you have. And so he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And he was raised back to life three days later so that anyone who turns from their sins and trusts in him would be forgiven of their sins and restored to relationship with God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, do that today. Repent and believe. Let Jesus bring you the rest your soul is looking for. Joshua wanted to bring the people to rest, Hebrews 4 says, but that rest was temporary. The rest Jesus brings us into, however, is as he is, eternal and unchanging. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, turn from your sin and come to Christ today. And if you're here and you do know Jesus, return to your rest today. Ask the Spirit 
to bring you deeper into that rest. The rest who says, I am the resurrection and the life. The rest who says, I am with you. Did you see that beautiful promise in verse 9? The Lord your God is with you. I love that this passage has God at the beginning in verse 1 and God at the end in verse 9. This text is bookended by the Lord, the great I am who says, I am with you. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus said earlier in Matthew 28? Jesus gives his church work to do, but he doesn't say, good luck. Call me if you need anything. No, his final words in Matthew mirror the final words here in Joshua. I am with you. Beloved, the Spirit of God is with us, in us. That's all we need. He's all we need. God doesn't say, Joshua, I'm with you, and don't worry, you'll have this and this and this. No, he simply says, I'm with you. That's it. Beloved, in the midst of change and all that might overwhelm us, God's presence is enough. Wherever we go, the text says, he is with us, and his presence, his spirit, is enough. His spirit who does not change, his spirit who speaks the same message. Point number two, the same message, the same message. It's kind of crazy. The same God that spoke to Joshua is the same God speaking to us tonight. He speaks. Look back at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said. Our text begins as the universe did with God's word. Hop down to verse 7. God tells Joshua to stay close to his word. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, in times of change, we can often ask a lot of questions. Questions like, who should I listen to? What message should I listen to? In times of change, so many messages can fly at you. People say things, you say things, they say things. The amount of words can overwhelm us. But in the midst of all that, in times of change, beloved, fear not because we have the same message, the scriptures, the Bible. In times of change, what remains is the scriptures. We'll look at Joshua in a minute, but in the last point, we spoke about Jesus rescuing us from sin. And I'm struck by the fact that how humanity got into this whole mess of sin 
was by listening to the wrong voice. Do you know the story of that serpent sliding in the garden, lying to our first parents, and they start believing him? They sin and they're ashamed. They realize they're naked, and that's what they tell God when he confronts them in their sin. They say, we hid from you because we were naked. And the first thing God does is ask them, who who, who told you that? I didn't say that. Who have you been listening to? And of course, God knows they were listening to the serpent, the enemy. Beloved, when things are changing, it is so easy to believe lies of the enemy. When we're afraid to face that which is facing us, it's so easy to believe lies about God, about each other, our motives and intentions. Like, can I just be vulnerable? The last couple years have been a huge transition for me. I left a place that I knew and loved and that knew and loved me. And as my friends have changed and my colleagues have changed and my family has changed, both my parents are now dead. In the midst of all that, it has been so easy to start believing lies. One thing I so appreciate about Dustin Ratcliffe's friendship in my life is he is good at pointing out when I'm believing lies. Do you have someone who does that for you? Who brings you back to the truth, back to this book? God told Joshua to stick with the words that he gave Moses. Keep it in your mouth, Joshua. Meditate on it day and night that you might prosper, verse 8 says, sounding so much like Psalm 1. When he says that we'll prosper, the Lord doesn't mean we'll have good health and money necessarily, but rather that there will be a richness in our relationship with him. Remember, that's the main point, him being with us and us with him, Jesus who is the living word of God and whose spirit carried along men like Moses to give us the written word of God, which we are not to deviate from to the left or to the right. That's why we pray so often for the preaching of God's word, like Daniel did tonight, and the ministry of the word among us, that we might keep the same message. Didn't we hear it last week from Corinthians? This church ought to have one message, Christ crucified. By God's grace, that's been the message since this church started. By God's grace, it'll always be the message going forward. Didn't we hear it from Corinthians last week? That what matters most is not which preacher is up here, but which book is up here. Which message is going forth from here? Beloved, I want to encourage you. I love how hungry our church is for the Word of God. And I would love it for it to be normal for us to talk about that Word with each other and not just say, hey, what'd you do this summer? But also say, hey, here's what I'm learning in God's Word. 
Saints, we want to be careful to preach and speak God's word here and to one another. Any other book might be helpful, yes, but none is as helpful as God's word. Of the writing of many books, Ecclesiastes says there is no end, but the word of our God lasts forever. Saints, bestsellers, and popular podcasts have come and gone, but we're still reading Joshua and prospering today. Are you reading this book? Are you obeying this book? After all, we shouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. And it's so easy to do other things besides what God says to do. Friends, go back to this book. Stick with the scripts. That's what we call the scriptures in my house. Write it on your walls. Teach it to your children. Talk about it as you come and go. Make it what you fill your mind and heart with. The psalmist wrote, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Prioritize this book. Like newborn infants crave this milk, the law of the Lord. Beloved, we've been talking about the bylaws as a church, and that is a good and necessary conversation for us to have. But let us remember that whatever the man-made bylaws might say, this law is our ultimate charter. Do you crave it? Do you read it? Be strong and courageous to do so, sisters and brothers even if it feels like nothing is happening when you read it. And it so, can, and it so often can feel that way. Can it? On a normal day, you wake up, or your kids wake you up. It's early in the morning. You're trying to be in the Word, but it's hard, isn't it? Friends, I, like you, am a weak human who often feels my Bible reading can be dry. And I can feel so discouraged in that. What should we do when we're discouraged in our Bible reading? We should remember that God didn't save us because we read the Bible perfectly, but because of his grace. We should remember that we need not expect a feeling of euphoria every time we read the scriptures. Think of it like this. You know when you're flying on an airplane and they talk about, hey, if the oxygen mass drop down, don't panic. Oxygen is flowing even if the bag doesn't inflate. The same is true of our Bible reading. Even if you can't see anything happening, oxygen is flowing. So read the Bible, sisters and brothers, and breathe in the word of life. Because after all, we need this oxygen, this nourishment for our spiritual strength. Dr. Robert Smith says, the word of God is not to be an emergency ration for a crisis moment. It is to be a constant source of nutrition for one's soul and mind. Joshua's strength and courage were tied to his obedience of God's law, and not just some of his law, but all of it, verses 7 and 8 say. Circle that word all in verses 7 and 8. No selective obedience here, church family, but rather like trees planted by streams of water, let us dig our roots deep into all of this rich soil. Beloved, the same word that sustained and strengthened the Israelites in their transition is the same word that will sustain and strengthen us through 
our every transition, which is good news because, like the Israelites, we need strength for the work the Lord has called us to do. Friends, we have point number three, the same mission. The same mission. Look at verse 6. God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Friends, as we've said in our previous studies of this book, Joshua was taking the baton from Moses. Moses brought the people to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua would bring them into this land that God promised to Moses in the generation before. And not only that, God had also promised this land to Abraham 500 years earlier. That's why verse 6 says God swore this land to the people's fathers, plural. You can read about God's 500-year-old promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. And I bring up this 500-year-old promise to highlight that God's plan doesn't change. He doesn't say, you know what, Joshua? I don't really like this plan that I promised to Abraham and Moses anymore. Let's scrap it, do something else. No, beloved, rather from Adam to Abraham and Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to Joseph and Joseph to Moses, who by the strength and courage of some incredible women, Hebrew women in Egypt was preserved. Yes, from Moses to Joshua, God's plan would remain the same. He changes workers, but carry on his work. And make no mistake, Though this work is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, though Jesus said quite clearly, it is finished, we, we still have a part to play in this great drama, the great story that God is telling. So the Bible is complete, yes, but our story is not done being written yet. To be clear, I'm not saying our work is to go and conquer physical lands, We talked about this in the overview sermon that here on earth we have no lasting city, as Hebrews says, and now, uh, and that now in the new covenant we await a better country, a new Jerusalem, where we who've trusted in Christ will rest with God and He with us. And so we've said clearly that God has given us the book of Joshua so that we might believe that God will keep His promise to bring us to that new Jerusalem. But until He does that, until the Lord brings us home, Are we supposed to just sit around, read the Bible, and look at the sky all day waiting for Jesus? Is that what it means to wait for the Lord? Saints, are we supposed to just sit around and count the days? Or are we supposed to make the days count? To make best use of the time which Ephesians 5 speaks. Friends, let me make it plain because I didn't come this evening with a complicated word. I came with a simple one. We have work to do. From the first Adam to the second Adam, Jesus, God was doing something through his people in the world, and he's still doing something through us. And so Jesus redeemed us as a people for himself, who from a position of resting in him, are zealous for this work. Now, 
Before I elaborate on this work, I need to make a caveat because there are a lot of Americans in this room. And Americans love work. Often too much. Often we idolize work. We Americans love getting stuff done. Grabbing life by the horns, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And I fear that idolatry can bleed into and form our faith, our intuitions, and our priorities. Saints, even with the best of intentions, it's easy for American Christians to think, well, before I was saved, life was about doing stuff for me. Now that I'm saved, life is about doing stuff for God. But please hear me clearly. Life is not about what you can do for God, but what God has done for you in Christ. Life is not about what you can do for God, but about what God has done for you in Christ. And so the church, like Jesus, its head, is not primarily a place of work for the weary, but rest for the weary. That's why when you join this church, I pray you understand that the greatest thing about you is not what you bring to the table. It's not what you can do for Iron City Church. The greatest thing about you isn't what you can do, but who you are. You're one of God's kids that he's saved from sin. And the greatest thing you can do is not sing up front or serve downstairs, despite however desperate we are for you to serve downstairs. And yet the greatest thing you can do is not that stuff, it's simply to be here. Be a part of this family. Beloved, your greatest ministry among us is one of presence, one of simply being here. If you are not present here, you can't really do much else here. So we just want to see you and remind you that, yeah, out there you got to work and measure up. But in, in here, Christ came down, not for the strong, but for the weak. So please hear what I say about work, our work as a church rightly, lest you begin to misunderstand the story God is telling to and through his people. What do I mean? I mean what Eugene Peterson says when he writes, Quote, most of us read the story of Jesus as the story of God doing stuff for us, revealing himself to us, calling us, saving us. But the moment Jesus ascends into heaven, as told in Acts, the story shifts to the church. It is common at this point to let Jesus slip into the background and proceed to understand the story of the church as what we are doing for God. Doing for Jesus, to be sure. Doing in the name of Jesus, certainly. But we are in charge. We are now making decisions. We have Jesus' commands. We have his example. But now it is up to us. We take responsibility for the church, or we don't. Peterson says this is the American stereotype of church. Salvation is God's business. It is what God does. And then he turns it over to us. Church is our business. It is what we do. God, having given himself to us in Jesus, now retires to the sidelines, and we take over. Occasionally, we call a timeout to consult with God, but basically, we are the action, end quote. Beloved sisters and brothers, where are you tempted 
to view Iron City Church and your being a part of it through the lens of productivity. Saints, please remember, God is the one doing the work. And yet, God has given us work to do. The Christian life is a lot of both and. Jesus saved us, and we have work to do. What is this work? Well, it's no longer to take over a Palestinian territory, as it was in Joshua, because now, in the new covenant, God's people are not confined to one nation. Rather, Jesus has bid us to go to all nations and make disciples, we heard it earlier, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." No, Jesus is not saying we all have to quit our jobs and be missionaries, or that missionaries are the real Christians while the rest of us subpar Christians should sit back feeling bad about ourselves. Saints, some of us will go overseas. Many of us will send those folks, but all of us ought to be making disciples. Making disciples. And by that, Jesus simply means helping people understand and obey all that he's commanded us. Again, just like in verses 7 and 8, we're to obey all of what Christ says. And beloved, this has always been the mission of this church. From 2014 to 2023, we are trying, by God's grace, to make Jesus known and to make disciples. We are a community of disciples making disciples. We are a community of disciples helping one another follow Jesus and seeking his kingdom. We are a discipling community. And this discipling doesn't have, all have to look the same way. It doesn't have to be you meeting up with a Christian who's 400 years older than you who walks you through the book of Romans. Beloved, when you meet together, in your groups, talking about the Word, you're discipling each other. When people at Sermon Read are helping me think about the Word, they're discipling me. When you confess sin to each other and memorize Scripture with each other, you're discipling one another. Moms, when you read that board book to your babies, you're discipling your kids. I want to be clear, it is great to have specific relationships with folks that are intentional. If you can get someone above you, someone at your level, and someone beneath your level spiritually and pour into them, I think that is biblical. But don't fall into the trap of thinking there's only one way to disciple. Beloved, we want to tell others about Jesus and help each other follow Jesus. We want to do this as we pursue unity and diversity. We want to do this for our city and for the glory of God. We'll talk more about what success in that looks like next week. But let me go ahead and burst a bubble now. I think some of you are like, tell me what specifically to do. What does this all specifically look like? And I think Scripture speaks to people who are free and says it doesn't have to look one way. Stop trying to escape the ambiguities of what it means to follow Christ as an individual and just rest in the fact that as a family of disciples, we are simply trying to tell others about Jesus and help each other follow Jesus. Beloved, this church is filled with a lot of young people, as we heard earlier, and a lot of young Christians. Praise God for that. 
As we mature, we should understand that young people often, we lack depth perception. And we should understand that a mark of immaturity is to make everything, including how to live the Christian life, black or white, and to make bigger deals out of things that are really not that big of a deal. Tell me which exact Bible plan, reading plan to sign up for. Beloved, we are simply trying to tell others about Jesus and help each other follow Jesus. That has been the mission of this church since day one, and the mission remains the same. We have gotten the baton. The question is, what will we do with it? Which brings us back to the question we started with. What do we do now? What are we going to do now? God has told us three times that those of us who have the Spirit, which is all of us who trust in Christ, ought to be strong and courageous as we seek to do the work of His kingdom. And that work is to obey all that He has commanded and help others do the same. That may overwhelm you, and if it does, I think you're hearing it right, because it can't be done without God. But be strong and courageous. Beloved, we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Second Timothy 1, only be strong and courageous. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Ephesians 6. Only be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord, Psalm 27 says. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Only be strong and courageous. Be ye steadfast. Immovable, 1 Corinthians 15 says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, knowing that he is with us and in us and for us, and if God is for us. Romans 8 asks, who can be against us? If God is with us, then we have all we need. The same master the same message, the same mission. We could say the same God, the same gospel, and the same commission to go and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we can look at your word, and unless your spirit illumines, and strengthens us, we cannot follow it. So we ask for your spirit, even now, to help us, strengthen us, and nourish us. In Jesus' name, amen.